Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's Roundup, and welcome to 2018. There's no Patreon giveaway this week, that's next week, just because I had to record this podcast over the course of a few days, and it's just the way that the dates fell, so there's nothing wrong, but that'll all happen next week. But let's jump right into the news. First up is a bunch of Switch news. To start off, Nintendo has announced that they're delaying the release of 64GB cartridges until 2019. So that means every Switch game that's over 32 gigabytes that comes in a cartridge will also require a very large download to put on your internal memory card, which is inconvenient for just about everybody. And on top of all that, it kind of defeats the purpose of cartridges because one of my biggest complaints of optical media is that most of the time you need to copy a large portion to a hard drive for it to run properly. So a bit of disappointing news for people that were hoping to buy some of the bigger games out there, but nothing you could do about it, I guess. Next for Switch news, it looks like Nintendo removed the hidden NES Golf game from the latest firmware update, and to be honest, I'm not sure if that means anything. Maybe it means nothing and I'm just wasting a segment of the podcast, or maybe it means they're looking to patch any exploits, or maybe that that means they're going to finally start selling NES Virtual Console games. Uh, I'm not really sure, I just figured it was worth mentioning in case we learn something in a few weeks that this pertains to. And lastly for the Switch news, it looks like there might actually be a jailbreak becoming available on firmware version 3.0. I guess the NVIDIA Tegra chipset had a backdoor left in from NVIDIA itself, and hackers had exploited that to try to get Homebrew running. So um, if you're looking to mess around with Switch hacking or Homebrew or any of the fun stuff that we all usually love to do, make sure to stay on firmware version 3.0. And speaking of jailbreaks, it looks like a kernel exploit was just released for the PlayStation 4, running firmware version 4.05. So from what I gather, this is just the kernel exploit, so for end users it doesn't mean much at the moment, but it looks like that means the tools and information have been provided for anybody that wants to create their own jailbreak, Um, and of course this is only going to be on this older firmware. So, as always, uh, I've always kind of said this since the first time I've talked about this stuff, I'm very leery of jailbreaking consoles that are still in their lifespan because I don't want to steal. I mean, I genuinely don't. Uh, For all of those old ROM carts that I use where I have every game ever made, I really do still buy all the ones that I play. You know, support your local game stores, all that good stuff that I'm always flying the flag about. But on the other hand, I've done some pretty awesome stuff with jailbroken consoles, and the one that meant, uh, that made the most impact on me would be the original Xbox, because in doing so, I still bought all the Xbox games that I wanted to play, but then I just ripped them to the hard drive, and then also used it for Xbox Media Center to, uh, to stream all my media, and a bunch of other awesome stuff. So 
you know, I think people usually just assume that jailbreaking means stealing, and certainly not to me at least. So uh, I'm all for jailbreaking everything and you know, being able to run your own code, and uh, I just am wondering where this is going to go for the PS4. And I really hope it doesn't mean that everybody's just going to start dumping PS4 games and, and developers lose money, but I guess we'll find out. Adam Zay just posted a guide on how to RGB bypass the Garo, which is the component video to RGB converter made by the Behar brothers. And his bypass is designed to try to improve the video quality a little bit by correcting the sync signals and the way it handles black levels, because in some scenarios you could actually get a purple tint to the screen. Now, I have the Garo, and I've actually had mostly good luck with it. I did get the purple tint issue, but I also got that on converters from Key Digital, which are generally very high quality, at least the ones I've tried in the past. So if you if you own a Garo and you're having any issues, hopefully somebody will make a, a, a nice, easy, do-it-yourself board for it, because the, one, the, the thing that he posted involved making your own circuit, which is not bad, but that THS7374 chip is a real pain for uh, newbies and even intermediate people to solder. So uh, if this takes off, who knows? Maybe they'll make a little bypass board and, uh, and sell it. But I know Adam has his own store, which I'll link to down below, uh, and I'd like to see that there. And as always, I mean, I, I don't mind modding anything to squeeze this much a little more, uh, you know, performance out of any of my components. And I do find that the component to RGB converter is really, really handy because I know a lot of people that have setups that are RGB only but still have a couple of component video consoles. So uh, I actually showed this in a video a while back, but I had a few things plugged into the G-Comp switch, which ran into the Garo, which ran into the G-SCART switch. So I essentially had uh, four component video devices and then seven RGB devices outputting RGB to a display. So, uh, you know, it really depends on everybody's situation. Uh, maybe people that, certain people that already own the Garo don't have any issues, but like I said, anytime you could squeeze just a little bit more out of it, I'm on board. HD Retrovision just posted an update on their PlayStation adapters. Basically, production samples are coming soon, and if those are all approved, we should be able to order them in a few months' time, which are all rough guesses. Now, as much as I absolutely love to tease my friends at HD Retrovision, this blog post describing what they went through really hit home for me because I'd been through very similar things with contract manufacturers back in that computer manufacturing company I worked for. And while their blog entry goes into detail, the short, short version is that they were really trying to get the perfect fit for the PlayStation console side of the connector that would be reliable and durable and wouldn't be too hard to pull out or push in to the actual console side of things. And they, it really took a lot of back and forth and a lot of uh, investment in order to get it working right, but they think they found the happy medium and there should be both PlayStation adapters, so you could use their Genesis 2 cable with this adapter on a PlayStation, as well as PlayStation 2 compo um, component video cables that they would sell as well. So I'll keep everybody updated when they actually go up for sale. And uh, if anybody's interested in the, the total journey of what happened, please check out the blog post because it's actually really interesting. Chris Covell just posted something pretty interesting. He was able to capture hardware dithering from the PlayStation 1 that kind of shows different scenes and how it's used, which I thought was really interesting. Um, I actually think this was spawned from a misunderstanding because in the last Retro Roundtable, 
I was talking specifically about pre-rendered scenes that Firebrand X had found last year. So I don't know if it was PlayStation 1 or if it was only GameCube or both, but Firebrand X had basically found certain parts of video games that were pre-rendered videos that already had that look to them. So it wasn't a hardware thing, it was playing back a video that already looked like that. So uh, it wasn't um, Chroma Crosstalk or anything else. But either way, hey, if uh, a misunderstanding can spawn awesome screenshots like that, by all means, <laughs> go for it. So thanks very much to Chris for, uh, for taking the time to post those pictures. And anybody interested in that stuff, please check out his tweet and the pictures that he, he had posted up. Someone on the Shmups forums just posted a guide on how to convert certain PlayStation 2 games to output 240p instead of 480i. Judging on the list of games that he got working, it seems like mostly games that were originally 240p anyway, but 480i on the PlayStation 2, which is still a massive help, because let's just say you're not a Saturn fan, but you really want to play Nights Into Dreams, it would cost a lot to go hunt down a Saturn, get the RGB cables, buy that game, get the 3D controller for it, whereas just taking this ISO, converting it to 240p, and playing it on a PlayStation 2 is relatively simple. So, um, you know, great work, and I hope people keep up stuff like this, because it's just, uh, it's a really good thing to have, and obviously the more choices, the better. There are some people that aren't going to care or notice a difference, and there are other people, crazy people like me, that are going to see the original resolution of 240p, and just be jumping for joy. So, well done. Next is something that put a gigantic smile on my face. The Real Phoenix posted on Assembler Games that he watched last week's roundup saying that there's no 3D printed shells for a Game Gear and how I didn't want people to continue to cannibalize games for EverDrive use and he made a 3D printed shell for it. So uh, I am absolutely thrilled. I think it's awesome that uh, people are doing stuff like this. Um, once the 3D files are up, I'll make sure to share them with everybody. And I know it's silly. I know there are useless Game Gear games that are a dollar that you could just throw out the guts and make that your EverDrive case. But it just eventually we're going to run out. And who knows, maybe, you know, aliens are going to kill everybody before we're, we run out of Game Gear games. But it's still, it's a finite thing. They don't make them anymore. And I'm always leery of, of hurting anything that's finite. So now that we have a 3D, uh, an ability to 3D print it, we can make our own EverDrive shells. Um, if you have your own custom homebrew, now you have your own shell for it, which is something that I really hope we see a lot more of. Um, even people whose game carts broke, you know, now you have a, a good replacement for it. So as soon as this is up and running, uh, I'm going to see if uh, any of my friends, Renee, uh, can print me one of these in blue to match my blue game gear that iFix Retro just did a full cap replacement on. Um, and I will just be one happy little game gear nerd. I have mixed feelings about this next thing because it involves piracy. But Sega just released an update to their brand new Daytona 3 racing game that pretty much includes the whole game. So it seems that with some minor hacking, you could actually have this game for free running on your PC. So on one hand, that's completely stealing. <laughs> like, it's a new game, it's out in the arcades, you're totally stealing. But on the other hand, I do love playing with these things. And, you know, I wouldn't, if I did end up, you know, like hooking this up to an arcade machine for my own personal use and messing around with it, that would certainly never stop me from using it in the arcade. And as far as I know, there's no way to purchase this at home. So I, I'm still going to give it a try one of these days, but it just uh, feels weird about talking about it because I'm literally talking about just stealing a game that's in the arcades now. But 
you know, curiosity is going to get the better of me at some point, I'm sure. But Daytona 3 is uh, like a modern version of Daytona. Um, it's an arcade game with widescreen monitors and that 90s Sega style. And it looks very cool. I think it was just released last year. Uh, I could be wrong. And to be honest, I didn't even realize it until this hack appeared. But, yeah, so anybody that wants to mess around with this, the, the link is in the description, as well as the link to where I got the YouTube footage. And it seems like an awesome game, and I'm going to give it a shot, but how do we go about doing this without feeling like we're stealing? So leave your comments down below, and, uh, you know, if everybody gets pissed, maybe I'll just remove the links from the, the description if everybody decides this is really just straight-up thievery. <laughs> Keftrus just posted a pretty interesting video where he reverse engineers a versus Super Mario Brothers bootleg. So the versus Super Mario Brothers were the stand-up arcade games that Nintendo released, and then somebody made a bootleg board of it using a Z80 chipset and uh, got it to run sort of the the actual ROM. And Keftrus went through and reverse engineered it and kind of figured out how it worked and. I'm not going to lie, towards the end it got a little over my head, but the first half of it I was absolutely fascinated about. So uh, if you guys are into super nerding out like that, definitely give it a look. The Master Gear emulator, which is an SMS emulator, has now just been made free by its developer. And the Android version is still paid, so if you want to help the developer out, maybe uh, buy that version if you have an Android device. But it's actually kind of interesting, because the developer, Murat Faisalin, and I'm sure I'm murdering that pronunciation, I'm really sorry. Uh, he's kind of like an old-school emulator writer, and he's been around since the 90s, since I was a kid, uh, and I guess he's been working on a lot of this stuff for a very long time, and I think he was the creator of iNES, which was one of the first NES emulators that I ever started using. So um, it's kind of cool to see that he's still keeping up with this stuff, but I would actually really like to interview him and kind of uh, tell him a story. We actually had... Um, uh, virtually bumped into each other years ago. So uh, I'd love to talk to him about that, but I don't have his contact info, and uh, I always feel weird just reaching out to people because a lot of people are like, no, I, you know, I will not send you money for your Nigerian print scam, even though it's <laughs> I'm talking about retro gaming. So if anybody knows him, please let me know. Uh, maybe make an introduction to us. If not, I'll just shoot him an email next week and see if he, he knows who I am or even, even would care to do an interview. But I'd certainly love to talk to him about some of his creations and uh, basically, you know, 90s emulation in general. So uh, hopefully you will see him on here very soon. The G-SCART Switch Lite and G-Comp Switch are now up for sale, so if you guys were interested, definitely pick one up because they tend to sell out really quickly. I'm obviously a massive fan of these things, and I have tested them uh, as stringently as I have the resources to test, and I love them both. Um, you know, as soon as I get more testing equipment, I'll go back and retest them, but in all honesty, uh, I haven't found a single issue with these things, so I highly, highly recommend them. Also, on a personal note, uh, if these are sold out by the time you click on the link, um, maybe don't email me and tell me to go fuck myself, because for all those lovely people that sent me all those Facebook messages and everything uh, upset with me, I have nothing to do with this. All I do is tell people when they're up for sale. So uh, if they're still up for sale, I highly recommend buying one, and if they're not, it's not my fault. I just discovered a channel on YouTube called Technology Connections that focuses a lot on CRT technology and how they work, and I absolutely just got sucked right in. I saw the latest video that popped up, the one I'm showing here, that describes about the Sony Trinitron tubes and how they, pretty much their inception and how they really evolved over their lifespan. Spoilers, not much because the technology was great to begin with. 
Um, and I just, I started watching a ton of these guys' videos, but, um, definitely don't judge a book by its cover, because, uh, some of the, some of his talking scenes make me seem like a professional Hollywood actor, but what the content is by far what's most important, and he does a great job demonstrating and showing stuff. Um, and I even liked things like his VHS versus beta comparisons, and, uh, he really nerds out the same way that we do, just, uh, with CRTs and VCRs and stuff like that, so, um, I feel like a lot of people that follow this channel probably already know that one exists, but would definitely be interested in at least one or two of his videos, so I thought I'd share it. A bunch of footage from Darksoft's MVS prototype was just uploaded to YouTube, it was done by Streamer Beast, when he basically put the prototype through its paces, uh, played a whole bunch of different games, and found a bunch of little bugs with it. Actually, at first, he found the, the weird bug where you have to change some settings in the open source scan converter before a Neo Geo will work with it. Same exact thing happened to me. Uh, and then he went through all the games and found a few things here or there. And it looks like Darksoft and Mitsurugi... Uh, I'm so sorry, I never pronounce any of these people's names right. But, but I guess the two main guys behind the Darksoft cart um, both responded immediately and have already started working through some of the bugs that he found, which is really awesome. So... That means by the time this hits production and starts heading out to the customers, I'm assuming we're going to need a zero-day firmware update, but it's totally fine. It just uh, makes me happy that they're you know, keeping up with it and really trying to get it perfect. And, you know, to be honest, uh, stuff like this is really expected because most large companies have teams and teams of people working to QA stuff and to make sure things are working right before it's sent out to customers. And generally speaking, in the retro gaming scene, it's one or two people. So whether we like it or not, it's fair that products ship with bugs and that, it, that small hobby projects ship with bugs and that we should be worried about just doing firmware updates later. And the Neo SD did the exact same thing. So for people who are haters on either side, uh, when I first got my Neo SD, there was a bunch of little bugs with it, and most were fixed right away. And one took a little while, but that seems to be fixed now. And I think that's an awesome product, to be honest with you. Um, and also, I mean, this, is, this next part is completely speculation uh, and may end up being bullshit, but... I actually think that when these two carts are out and have been out for a while, you know, and their uh, their mature firmwares are running, there I don't think there's going to be one clear winner. Um, it really seems like these carts might have a better use for some people than others. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe one of the two companies hasn't announced features and there's going to be some craziness added to it. But just as MVS ROM carts, they both look awesome. So it was really cool to get to see more prototype footage in action. And as soon as Darksoft sends me his, I'll, uh, I'm going to focus more on the hardware end of things. So it's actually really great that Beast focused like 100% on just playing games and seeing if there's bugs in the games. So, you know, through, through the combination of all of us, everybody should have a really good idea of what to expect. Um, and also, Darksoft said he didn't want to send me one to review until it's an actual real production version, which I am 100% in agreement with, because the first thing I would do is pull that thing apart, uh, and that's not fair if it's still a prototype. Uh, anybody that's watched this channel before has heard the stories of my last company and some of the prototypes we had to build and, you know, get to a trade show uh, that looked, on the inside, nothing like the production versions. So, um, you know, as long as this isn't something he's charging people for, which it's not, then I, whatever the prototype looks like on the inside is none of our business. Let's wait till the final production version comes in. 
Unfortunately, though, like with everything else Neo Geo related, there was drama with this one. Somebody stole Beast's footage, and then, you know, there was all the usual shit that I hate and don't want to get involved in. And it, it makes me really sad, both because, um, you know, there's adults acting like children, and it makes me frustrated because it seems like a lot of things in the Neo Geo community get stifled because of the drama. You know, so I spoke to Beast about this, and he and I would like to cordially invite anybody in the Neo Geo scene to New York to talk about this with us. Because, you know, we would love to just sit here with open arms and listen to all of your complaints face-to-face -face so that you could express to us directly the way that, in the same way that you feel the need to over the internet. So, uh, by all means, if anybody who's upset about any of these things wants to talk it out, just give us a call and we'll meet you for a beer or a cup of coffee somewhere and we'll just talk this out like adults. We're looking forward to seeing you soon. So when I saw that Beast's footage got stolen, it sparked some anger in me, and it reminded me of all the other things that have been stolen over the past few years that I probably haven't talked about. Some of which, because, you know, a lot of it was hearsay, I don't really know if anything was actually stolen or not. Other things were minor, and I thought, ah, you know, I hate drama, why do I want to bring it up? But I gotta put my foot down, and I'm, I'm tired of that. No more, you know, no more wimping out on this stuff. Um, I gotta call people out when it's a blatant theft. Uh, so there's a lot of things that I've seen lately. You know, there's a certain 3D printed connector that looks awfully the same as an open source one that's released under the Creative Commons license, yet uh, this kid's gluing together and taping together a connector without giving any credit back to the original person. So maybe it's just a coincidence. You know, maybe it's the, the connector looks strikingly similar. I don't know. I wasn't there. I can't talk about that. Um, there was one board that uh, somebody wasn't 100% confident in their board making skills, so they contracted somebody else to make a board update for them. I think that's awesome. Why sell a product that might not be as good as it could be? So they got that back, tested it, works great. They've been selling it. Find out the person that they hired stole the design blatantly. Like, component for component traces, even the revision number, just completely stole the design and copied it. Now, I wasn't there. Maybe they didn't. Maybe their brain just worked exactly the same way and came up with the same revision number and the same traces and the same component placement. Can't really say for that. Uh, we can come to our own conclusions. But the idiot I called out last week, was it was my fault, and I got pissed because then I was part of the problem. Somebody um, made this Game Gear controller board thingy, which was awesome. Um, you, you basically plug a Genesis controller into this, wire this into your Game Gear, and uh, I've talked about it on the podcast. Works great. This idiot uh, is uh, other, not the designer, the, the guy I was talking about, who was doing a lot of Game Gear TV mods, so I said, hey, I don't have time to test this now. Would you want to buy a couple of these, or maybe I'll send you one for free. Uh, tell me what you think about it, and you could use those in your design. You know, you give me some feedback, give the developer some feedback, I'll give you one for free, and, you know, maybe you could even start making these things, uh, or including these things in your Game Gear TV mods. Everybody kind of wins, right? He takes it, reverse engineers it, and starts selling the boards through another reseller. So there's no gray area there. There's no... <laughs> there's no conversation you could possibly have with me that doesn't end in somebody had, you know, in confidence, gave me something to test. I fucked up and sent it to the wrong person, and they reverse engineered it and stole the design. I was in the middle of that. I could tell you damn right that's what happened, and uh, I was called toxic for bringing that up. Fuck that. 
I have never in my life shied away from standing up to the bully, and I've gotten my ass kicked a lot as a result. And it's weird, because sometimes now, especially over the internet, the bully isn't this big, scary guy that i got to fight at the beach. The bully is like a socially awkward college kid that genuinely doesn't understand what stealing is. And you know what, dude? Uh, we all have issues. I have my own, and it sucks. And you got to work through them. And sometimes it doesn't end well for anybody involved. While I have sympathy for that, stealing is stealing, and if you haven't learned this by now, maybe it's better to hear it from me than when you get a job and then get fired for stealing another company's intellectual property, because that shit follows you around forever. You never get hired again if you get fired for that. So, uh, yeah, I'm not shying away from any of this stuff anymore. I don't want any part of drama. I hate drama. I don't have time for it. The only free time I have these days, I love trying to play guitar still, which is rough with a fucked up back, and of course, drinking the moment it's Gatorade, but you guys know what I'm talking about. So I'm not going to waste my time on drama. Uh, I'm not going to get in, involved in people's fights. Uh, if you think your shit got stolen, please don't get me involved unless I was a part of it in the first place. But that being said, don't be afraid to tell people. Have proof. Uh, and if I see it personally, I'm just going to tweet about it and then quickly mention it, not five-minute rant mention it, quickly mention it in the podcast. Just like, uh, yeah, you know, uh, I got a new thing from Voltar, and he totally stole my design because I totally invented it. So <laughs> whatever it is, uh, I'm just call I'm, I'm calling everybody out now. I'm not going to hesitate. Uh, I don't really care what the, uh, you know, what the consequences are because unlike so many of these idiots, I have always stood up and then taken the consequences for my actions. So uh, while all you keyboard jockeys can go and say anything you want about Fat Bob or anything else that you'd like to talk about, the bottom line is I haven't stolen anything from anybody, and the closest thing I've done like that was when that dude trusted me with his design and I fucked up and sent it to somebody else. So uh, we're coming for you. All of you thieves, you know who you are, and if you don't, oof. God, I hope we're not the first people to uh, to tell you, but we're all coming for you, all of us, because we shouldn't just sit on the sidelines while people do this and while the people who created this content get frustrated. Maybe they get frustrated and they lose interest. Maybe they lose money. Sucks for everybody. So don't fucking do it. Now for the Q&As. Sega90 said he has a SNES Mini modded with the sRGB mod, and he's not yet added the brightness resistors or changed the 7805 power regulator. He said his picture is crisp, but he does faintly notice the white line issue, especially on Super Metroid. Does changing the regulator guarantee a fix, or do I still need the 7374 bypass? Well, I wanted to mention this because this is exactly what I was talking about last week when I mentioned the SNES My Life in Gaming video. And it's my opinion that you should open that thing up and replace the 7805, add the brightness resistors, and then change that C11, the, the ghosting capacitor that Voltar found, and, you know, do a basic once-over. Um, you know, if you modded it yourself, Sega 90s, a few years ago, uh, maybe your skills got way better now than they were then. I mean, mine sure has. Anybody that ever went on Retro RGB when it first launched, knows uh, I would at least hope sees a huge difference in my modding from then till now so just take a quick look maybe you want to redo it maybe you want to you know just clean up the wires or something but it's my personal opinion that spending a few dollars from digikey or mauser uh, you'll probably spend more in shipping than anything else and then doing those things first is the way to go because most likely that will fix the white line and everything will look perfect 
Then, if it still doesn't fix it, then I would go and get a 7374 bypass board. Um, and I do realize that means you got to open it up. And I know a lot of people who are excellent at soldering who just have the opinion of, I work all day, I have a family, I don't want to open my SNES up twice. I just want to open it up one more time and never again. If that's your opinion, there's nothing wrong with that, um, then I would do everything I just mentioned and add the 7374 board. Um, because... In all the testing, it is a little bit better, but, you know, that's another $30 uh, that you may or may not need to spend depending on your situation. So if you don't mind potentially having to open it up twice, do just the basic stuff first, uh, or if you're just one of those people that doesn't want to deal with it anymore, which I completely sympathize, <laughs> I never want to see the inside of a Sega CD-1 ever again. <laughs> um, if you're one of those people, then yeah, just go ahead and put the 7374 board in now. Just I would still do everything else, because it's just one more step to making things last longer and look better. Next, Daniel Swick was asking about low-lag Game Boy Color on a TV solutions. Um, and I've actually talked about this before, but there's been some new products and there's some more stuff coming out soon. So I will be doing a follow-up to this at some point when everything's released, but there's some great solutions for you. Uh, my favorite at the moment is the Analog NT Mini with the jailbreak. So that does mean that you would need to use ROMs and not actually uh, your original cartridges. But with the Analog NT Mini, you can get RGB output or HDMI on a flat screen. And it's pretty much zero lag. And I mean, I just have nothing but good things to say about it. I played through um, Link's Awakening DX, and I just, overall, I thought it was an amazing experience, and I loved it. Um, next is through the GameCube and the Game Boy Player hardware using the Game Boy Interface software. This shit gets really confusing, especially when you start to use the acronyms for this. Um, but I do not like the original Game Boy Player software. It's 480i only, although you could force it with Swiss. And there's, you know, there's a bunch of stuff that I don't like about it. But Extrems, the creator of GBI, the Game Boy Interface software, did a phenomenal job on that thing. There's different versions, so you could have an ultra-low latency version of it. Um, he's actually even starting to add features to the low latency and ultra-low ultra latency versions that I thought would only be able to be uh, added to something with a frame buffer. So overall, it's just really impressive and a really great piece of software. And if you already own a GameCube and the Game Boy Player hardware, I think it's really worth just buying um, an SD memory card reader, just get one from China for a few dollars, and then an action replay boot disk. And there you go, you're all set with that. Uh, upcoming solutions are pretty promising, though, because Woozle has a Game Boy Advance TV out mod that I think I might actually be able to get within a month or so to start testing, and he has really gone above and beyond the, the testing uh, part of things. So while, of course, like I talked about earlier in the episode, um, it's one person, so there's going to be bugs at first. It's just humanly impossible for there not to be, but I imagine they'll get worked out pretty quickly, and it looks awesome. Very low lag, looks great on a flat screen TV. Um, and then there's also Ben Venn from Australia, who I keep trying to get on the podcast, but I just, uh, you know, we keep missing each other, I guess. But hopefully he'll get a, a solid enough internet connection so I could interview him. But he has an RGB and VGA out version of a Game Boy Advance board, which once again would also be zero lag and uh, Woozle had mentioned something about doing that as well. So there are options in the future that are great, but if you want one today, right now, 
Uh, if money's no object, just get the analog NT Mini, because the thing is amazing in every way. Um, if you already own a GameCube, uh, or even if you don't, it is a more cost-effective way to go about doing things. And especially with the upcoming GameCube plug-and-play stuff that people will be able to buy, the dual options that are out there now, um, that means you can get RGB and HDMI out of even an NTSC GameCube. So once again, you know, you're looking at a lot of money there, but it's still less than the NT Mini. Uh, and so really, you have two amazing options right now. You did mention the Super Game Boy 2 for Game Boy games, obviously not Game Boy Color. I did just want to reiterate the fact that the Super Game Boys display things at a slightly wrong aspect ratio versus the original handhelds. And it doesn't bother me that much, certainly not nearly as much as watching like a 4x3 game stretched to 16x9, but it is something to note. On the other hand, though, um, the output of a Super Nintendo is ridiculously sharp and clear, and if you already own all that stuff, then it's a great way to play original Game Boy games. But if you have, let's just say you have all three, you have a SNES and the Super Game Boy 2, you have a GameCube and a Game Boy Player, and then you have the Analog NT Mini, uh, unless you insist upon using the original cartridges, my choice is still the NT Mini. So... Uh, maybe someday I'll have time to do full comparisons of all of this stuff, but uh, those are the solutions for now. I'm very, very excited about Woozle Solution coming up, and um, I think that's it at the moment. So hopefully that was a good enough answer. Next, Kevin E. asked a couple of good questions, and I'm going to try to do this in one shot and not ramble. Um, first, he asked how people send in questions that I respond to um, and kind of how that works. So I suggest, at least for the short term, you know, before I make a big change or something, I would just keep posting them down below in the comments, because very often people have great questions that maybe a lot of us in the retro gaming community already know, and they have their uh, questions answered right there. There are other questions that uh, I think are great and really worth other people hearing the answers to, because maybe it's a question I hear very often or something, uh, and I do get that wrong. Sometimes I answer questions on the podcast that nobody really cares about, uh, and other times I decide not to answer something, and then within a few weeks I'll get a bunch of emails, so I really should have answered that. Sorry, I'm still trying. Um, also, no questions are not for Patreons only, but if you message me through the Patreon app and you're a Patreon, I'll try to get back to you right away. I'm very sorry. I really, really hope this doesn't come out the wrong way, but for the first time ever, come like mid-October-ish or something, I've had to start ignoring a lot of emails because there's just not enough hours in the day. Um, I can't give people tech support. I certainly can't give other people's products tech support. I just suggest you go back to the original people you bought it from. Uh, I did for years. I spent hours every day doing that stuff, and my situation used to allow for that. I used to work from home for a job that was a lot of click and wait, you know, like press a button, wait for the status bar, and to occupy my time, I would love to respond to emails, and now it's totally different. So I'm really sorry. I hope that doesn't offend people. Um, I haven't even gotten to all of the Patreon questions that people have messaged me, but I try really hard to. Uh, so that's the first half of it, and... Um, you know, if anybody has any questions about the questions, post down below and I'll try to clarify or something. But the other thing he asked was, I wish I knew more of the why in doing certain mods. So um, why does adding resistors here or there result in A or B and stuff like that? And um, to be honest, that's something I've been really struggling with myself for a long time now. Because I've been trying to go and do a, a new video series and redo the entire RGB guide section of the site. 
But I really want to approach it from a, a position where if you don't know anything about this stuff, you could jump in. Or if you're already intermediate, you could jump into only where you need to. So maybe you completely understand the difference between RGB and component, but you don't quite grasp what the different sync types are jump right into the sync section and go from there. So it's something I'm working on and I would really love to finish at least in 2018, but um, I guess the best advice I can give is that when we're talking about all of these consoles, um, the ones that do output RGB might have a lot of potential to actually get better quality because the bottom line is companies like Sega and Nintendo sold millions and millions and millions. So if it cost $1 to get 1% better video output quality, and back in the 90s, that would mean hundreds of people would use it, not millions. Um, they're not going to do it because they're going to lose millions of dollars. And it's not that they made a crappy product. It's just that they know that if there are 40 million units sold... 39,999,000 people are not going to see the difference, so that's totally cool. But with all of the awesome nerds that we have contributing to the retro gaming scene, and especially people that really uh, obsess about the details, like um, like all my friends from the Retro Roundtable, Dan, I mean, I, I could just name names for hours here of all the people that you know sit there with a the scope and absolutely nerd out. We've all figured out ways to just get a little bit more here and there out of each console. So I believe uh, the question you were asking directly was in response to the Super Nintendo stuff. And the short version is that on the one chip and minis, the brightness output for the RGB side is too high from the factory. So you add three resistors in, it lowers it down to the proper brightness, which can be verified and double-checked using, using an oscilloscope and an all-white screen. So 240p test suite or Artemio's... Um, Artemio's 240p test suite, or the HD Retrovision test software. Um, and it's stuff that's completely reproducible. So I'm going to try to get a lot better about this. Um, I'm going to try not to ramble, probably like I am now, uh, on the podcast, but at least um, in the way the information is presented. Um, hopefully when the new site falls into place, I could talk about something here and leave a link below for people that might not be in the loop on this one thing. So uh, for guys like you, Kevin, if you're watching and you say, oh, that's awesome, I got the other thing you talked about, but not this, you can just click on the link and the full description will be there. And I have not had time to keep up with that. Like, there still isn't even a, a C11 ghosting section on the website yet. So um, I'm going to get better at all this stuff. But uh, but yeah, that's... um. So I guess to, to answer both sides of your question, the short version, um, why do we do certain things? To squeeze the littlest bit out of quality. And uh, how do you figure out each one? I'm going to start putting more information on the site that really has to do with it. And hopefully when the site's up, it'll be opened at the very least to those same modders that I was mentioning before who do all the research. So even at the beginning, everybody who already contributes anyway can start adding their own stuff to it. So um, that was probably a confusing and rambly explanation of all your questions, but I hope it made sense. And lastly for the Q&As, a bunch of people had posted in the comments of last week's roundup that they had gotten Super Mario Land 2 DX running on the Analog NT Mini. So I guess I was using the wrong ROM file and there were different ways to, or you have to get a very specific one. You can use one out of the Smoke Monster pack, it just has to be the right revision. So, uh, you know, definitely if you were interested in that game, give it another try. Um, big thank you to Dorio for sending me his so I could test it out. And I gotta say, those guys did a phenomenal job on this hack. 
the colors look absolutely gorgeous. And uh, there are still a few bugs in it, but um, I think I would actually prefer to play this over the original. Of course, assuming that you have a way to play it in color. Um, but if anybody's interested in that, definitely give the ROM a try because it seems to be a really, really great color hack. And lastly, before I go, I wanted to talk about the interview I did this week. It wasn't really an interview. Um, I actually, because it was the holidays and it was hard to schedule times with people, the past two things have been more fun things that I just kind of wanted to talk about. Uh, two weeks ago was Scott and I talking about you know movies on a BVM, and this time it was myself, Steve from HD Retrovision, and Voltar talking about Castlevania Symphony of the Night, because it was my first time playing the game, so being that it's an older game and there's been so many games that have copied the format, it was kind of neat to go back and really just discuss it. And, uh, you know, especially because I'm not a fan of role-playing games. So just to see the, the difference in opinions that we had. And we actually ended up doing it as a live stream. So people in the chat were able to join in as well. And I thought I loved it. I thought it was awesome. Uh, I would really like to keep doing stuff like this. So I, I did want to ask you guys, I don't know if I should put up like an official poll or something. Um, while I do have a normal, uh, typical interview next week, um, I do want to continue to do some of the weird stuff. And should I keep doing it under retro RGB or should I just open up a different channel and, uh, you know, do all the different weird stuff under a different name? And I guess the reason I'm asking is because so many of the people that have participated and, and really been a huge part of this channel, um, I love and I would love to make part of all of these weird other things I want to do. But at the same time, I don't want to annoy everybody. So I don't want you flipping open your phone being like, again, another fucking interview about aliens or something. Like, where's my Super Nintendo? Uh, so I just wanted everybody's opinion on it. You know, do I do the stuff that's a little bit out of, uh, out of the retro RGB wheelhouse as just me? Do I just dump everything under this account? Uh, the one thing that I, I've made a very clear point since day one is retro RGB is a website and uh, basically like a whole way to get awesomeness out of your consoles. And I am Bob. So I don't ever say I'm retro RGB. I'm always just Bob. So uh, I guess maybe now is the time, now that the channel's getting a little more popular. Do I make that separation now? Do I just keep going as retro RGB? Uh, I would love to hear everybody's opinion on this because you guys always have a really awesome perspective on things. So um, but that's pretty much it, I guess. So thank you very much to all my Patreons for making sure to donate and keeping all this stuff going. I can't thank you guys enough for all of that. You just thank you. <laughs> and uh, thanks to everybody who always participates in the chats and especially everybody that jumped on at last minute for the live stream for uh, Castlevania because we didn't even expect to do that. It was just one of those last minute like, hey, you guys want to do a live stream? So thank you for putting up with that and jumping in if uh, your time zone allowed. And um, I guess next week will be the Patreon giveaway. So sorry that that might not have lined up to the first week of the month, but hey, what can you do? Uh, hopefully I'll have something awesome for you guys next week, and I will see everybody next time.